Can you put your hands together? Help me thank God for Joseph again, for our worship team, for our band, and for our guests from the Minnesota Orchestra. Thank you all so much for being with us, for blessing us earlier this week and then again today. Ah, such, a, such a sweet, sweet moment of worship. Uh, good morning, Sanctuary. Uh, my name is Edrin, one of the pastors here. Um, I want to take another moment and just say welcome to all of you who are here for the first time. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, there are a number of great churches around the Twin Cities, but we're grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, and for those of you who've been coming for a little while and still checking us out, uh, thank, you, thank God for you as well. Continue to come check us out. Uh, would love to get to meet you and have a chance to chat with you after service if you're around. Um, and so thank you so much for being here today. We're going to jump right into our message for this morning, um, and then we're going to go back into a little time of worship a little later on. But we are uh, in week three of a series that we're calling Beautiful Outlaw. Uh, It's based on a book by John Eldridge that's available for sale at the Welcome Desk, but also available online at Amazon and Kindle and all the other places where uh, you Android users like to buy books. Um, The last time I made an Android joke, the sound guy like turned my mic off because he has an Android. Uh, we, we're praying for him. We're praying for him. Uh, but we are excited to jump into this message together today. If you uh, have a Bible and want to go ahead and open it up to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're not going to read it right now, but want to have it ready when we need it. Um, it's going to appear on the screen at the appropriate time as well. Uh, but today we want to talk about the extravagant generosity of Jesus who we know to be a beautiful outlaw. I, I love the ocean. I love large bodies of water. Um, there's, it's, it's one of the, the places where I most clearly am able to connect with God. My wife Shaniqua will tell you that when we travel, if there's a beach nearby, I want to get to the beach and I just want to sit on the shore and watch the ocean come in and move out. It is for me a beautiful place, a majestic place. But my journey getting to that place uh, almost cost me my life one time. When I was about 14, we were at a pool party, and uh, my love of water got the best of me, even though I could not swim. And I went into the deep end and almost ended my story that day. A childhood friend of mine, Derek Smith, I remember Derek, he's a superhero in my mind, because Derek grabbed me that day and saved my life. And my love of water... It is, it's, it's a complex relationship. I love it, the beauty of it, the majesty of it, but I also respect the power and the danger of it as well. And that's what came to mind for me this week as I was working on this message. And th- there's, a, there's a part in, in this chapter on beautiful, uh, in Beautiful Outlaw that talks about the extravagant generosity of Jesus, but it also talks about the ocean as an example of God's generosity. Here's what the the author, John Eldridge, says about the ocean. He says, an artist is revealed in the work he or she creates and in the abundance of the work created. Think of the ocean. Picture it in your mind. Tonight, the breakers are thundering on the reef 100 yards out. And beyond that, open ocean. What does the ocean tell us about Jesus? What words come to mind? Majestic, powerful, wild, dangerous. Yes, tempestuous, like the clearing of the temple, as Pastor Rose described last week, 
but also gently playful as it laps at your feet, swirling round your toes, pulling the sand away from beneath you as Jesus ever so gently pulls the rug out from under us. I look down. Scattered at my feet lie a thousand shells, delicate, intricate. The work of a jeweler. Skip ahead a little bit. Creation is epic and intimate. God is epic and intimate. Everywhere around me, an obsession with beauty and attention to detail. But most of all, I am thunderstruck by the abundant generosity strewn around, constantly rolling in. It's as if someone took the family silver, ran down the beach, tossing handfuls here and there like a madman. How do you describe this extravagance? What kind of person acts like this? One of the great challenges in our life is to slow down long enough to see and experience the extravagant generosity of Jesus. Wherever there is great challenge, I like to say there's always great opportunity. And so if there is a great challenge in us ever slowing down enough to see and experience the extravagant generosity of Jesus, I believe one of the greatest opportunities of our lifetime is to see and experience God's extravagant generosity. Our lives are transformed as we come to see and experience God's extravagant generosity. Our lives are made different as our eyes are open to the reality that everything we need, everything that we need, everything that we need is wrapped up in the God of all creation who rejoices in freely giving us what we need and more. You might be asking yourself, Pastor, how how can we really know that God is like that? That's a a good question. Thank you for asking it. The, the, The clearest way for us to see God the Father is to look at God the Son. If we want to see who God is, Scriptures teach us we have to look first to Jesus. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19 We're going to read that quickly. It says, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to God's self all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. Friends, The clearest way for us to see God is to look at the Son, to look at Jesus. And that's what we're striving to do together in this series that we're calling Beautiful Outlaw. We're trying to help you uncover and experience the person of Jesus in new and transformative ways. I don't know how many diamond connoisseurs we have in the room. 
But one of the beauties of a good diamond is you're able to hold it up to the light. I've never hold, held a diamond this big, but you're, <laughs> you're able to hold it up to the light and you turn it. And at every angle, you see a different facet of that diamond. You're able to see and appreciate and love it in a different way. And that's what we want to do with this beautiful outlaw that we're calling Jesus. We are holding up Jesus to the light of the scriptures, and we're looking at Jesus from different angles so that you might be so fascinated, so in love with Jesus that you would follow Jesus and love Jesus in new ways. That's what we're going for. We're trying to get you away from the old Sunday school Jesus, the boring Jesus who simply walked around spouting out aloof statements that nobody understood. There is something more beautiful about who Jesus is, and we want to discover that together in this series. In week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus is playful, that God, Jesus was able and willing to use humor sarcasm, hyperbole, and other communicative tools so that we might see Jesus, see God more clearly. Last week, Pastor Rose reminded us that Jesus is also intentionally fierce, that when it came to living out the mission that God had given him, Jesus was fierce and would not let anything get in his way. Jesus was willing to flip some tables and, and, and Pastor Rose told us last week that even if we have an uncomfortable relationship with anger, righteous anger is our right when it comes to not letting anything get between us and the mission of God. And so today, we want to continue on this journey, and I want to help you to see clearly that not only is Jesus playful, not only is Jesus intentionally fierce, but Jesus is also extravagantly generous. I want you to see how Jesus gives freely and even pours out his very life for our good and for the glory of God. So let's look together. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And here's what it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so, that they, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved, somebody's laughing, they've done that before. Uh, but you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
The Gospel of John is written to an audience that is made of both Jews and Gentiles. And the purpose of this book was to deliver some good news about God's glory, about God's dwelling presence. John writes, writes often and, and early about God's glory, that glory which had been dealt or dwelt among the people in the tabernacle. John writes about the, 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 the glory that had dwelt among the people in the temple. He, he writes about the same glory that had departed the people because of their disobedience. And John writes this letter to convince Jews and Gentiles alike that God's glory, God's presence, had finally returned to God's people. John wanted them to know that the glory of God had returned, not in some abstract or impersonal way, not as a cloud or as fire or as smoke. John wrote this gospel to convince his audience and us today that God's glory could be seen not in a thing, but in a person. And that person was Jesus. If there was a single message that John wanted to communicate in his gospel, it's this, that Jesus is the Christ. So believe in him and live for him. In fact, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says that very clearly in stating the central purpose for this book. Here's, here's what John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There is a pattern that John writes about often and that Jesus would see when he would move about the land, there would be a pattern of people hearing or seeing what Jesus would say and do, that they would then believe what Jesus was saying, and then they would live as if what Jesus was, was saying is true. They would hear it, they would believe it, and they would live it out. Hear it, believe it, and live it out. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to it in a moment. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus and the earliest group of his disciples joining Jesus' mother Mary at a wedding in a place called Cana. Cana is believed to have been about eight miles away from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And while present there at the wedding, John tells us that a problem arose. They ran out of wine at a Jewish wedding. Now, having a card party, if you don't know what a card party is, jot it down and Google it when you get home. Uh, when you have a card party, running out of wine is a messed up situation. Running out of drink at a card party, it, it, people will not show up next time if you run out of drink. But that's nothing compared to a Jewish wedding. Running out of drink there was such a social faux pas that you could even be fined for running out of wine at a wedding. And so this was a big deal. The wine runs out. Somehow Mary comes to know about it first, and she comes to Jesus with a simple, straightforward statement. She says to him, they have no more wine. And it's in this statement that we see the first point that I want us to grab a hold of today as we consider Jesus' extravagant generosity. The first thing I want you to see is that what we need is found in Jesus. What we need is found in Jesus. What we need is found in Jesus. Mary comes to Jesus in this moment of need. 
And we don't know why Mary was so concerned about this situation. Was it a close friend or a relative whose wedding it was? Why was she so invested in this issue? We don't know. But whatever the reason, Mary models for us a simple practice that I hope we would all grab a hold of and live out daily. Mary turns to Jesus in her moment of need, illustrating that Jesus is the source of every single thing we need. Mary knew full well what John would make clear to the rest of us in chapter 3, which is that God the Father had placed all things in the hands of Jesus the Son. All things from God have been placed into the hands of the Son. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. That's the, the mantra that Mary wants us to grab today, that everything we need is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. If I was in a Baptist church this morning, people would be running all over this place because there's something about being black and Baptist where you know that there's something in the hands of Jesus. Everything we need is in the hands of Jesus. If I were to ask that audience this morning, not, not, not particularly us, but that audience, is there anybody in this room who, who found themselves in a dark and, and, and disturbing situation? And, and, and in that moment, you called on the name of Jesus. You, 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 you didn't go to social media. You, you didn't go to Oprah or Ayala Van Zant. You took that thing to Jesus, and he worked it out. Everything we need is wrapped up in Jesus. It's in his hands. The songwriters have been trying to tell us this for the longest. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's in his hands. Everything we need is in Jesus. Mary, by simply going to her son and saying, the drink is gone, models for us that everything we need is found in Jesus. The second thing I need us to see this morning is that Jesus blesses us wonderfully and lavishly. Jesus blesses us wonderfully and lavishly. Mary, Mary comes to Jesus with an issue. And Jesus, in, in a moment of protest and perhaps in a moment of uh, clarification, says to her, uh, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. Jesus learned in this moment a very important lesson that many of the, the sons in the room will know that no matter how old you get, you are still your mama's child. And Mary, Mary, Mary shows this because she never even responds to Jesus. She told him what to do. He protested. She walked away and said, simply do what he said. And so Jesus... The Son of God, God with us, he, even he is not above his mama's rule. Jesus gives some instructions to the servants, and he begins a process of making super abundant amounts of wine. The text says there were six giant stone jars sitting nearby. 
Jesus grabs them or tells the servants to grab them and fill them to the brim, to the brink with water. Jesus shows his power over creation and turns that water into wine. The text never tells us how he does it. Perhaps he stuck his finger finger in them and turned the water that way. Perhaps he spoke it and did it that way, but the text doesn't really tell us. What the text does show us is that Jesus is willing to bless us in at least two ways. The first thing the text shows us is that Jesus gives us high-quality blessings. High-quality blessings. Jesus had these jars filled with water to the brink. And he made wine that was so good, when he took it to the master of the banquet, he said, you slick guy, you have saved the, 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 the you, you, most people give you the bad wine once you're already drunk. And so you never really know how bad it, it was. But you, my friend, you've saved the best wine for last. Listen, this high-quality blessing that Jesus gives us today, this is not that lovely $5 bottle of wine that you can get at Trader Joe's. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus gives us a high-quality blessing. Jesus gives the guests of this wedding a top-notch blessing of the highest quality. This is top-shelf drink that Jesus gives us. And, and that's good news for somebody in this room today because God is, it shows us that God is willing to bless us far more than we even know to ask for. Often, often we'll just go to God with the basic, Lord, just get me through this week. Just help me to pay this bill. Just help my kid to listen and do their homework. But God loves us and knows us so much that he's willing to bless us far beyond what we even know to ask for. Jesus offers, in this moment, a high-quality blessing. But not only that, Jesus also offers a high-quantity blessing. The text says there are six large stone jars nearby. Each one could hold about 30 gallons of water filled to the brim. If that... 30 gallons times six, that's 180 gallons of the best wine anybody had ever had. 180 gallons goes into about 908 bottles of wine. I was wondering, how could I help the the, the church today understand just how much wine this is? There are about 450 seats in this auditorium. Can you imagine that if you had came in today and everybody had two bottles of wine tucked under their seat for you? Can you imagine what the worship would be like today if everybody got two bottles of wine when they came in? You talk about a move of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Jesus, at the end of the wedding, saw a a need was brought to his attention, and he could have simply made enough to get by. But Jesus does something far more. He blesses them far more than they need it. He gives them far more than they ask for. And Jesus does the very same thing with us. He takes the very minimum that we ask for, and he, exp- he expands it over and over and over. The text says Jesus grabs those six stone waters of, uh, uh, jars of water, and he filled it, and he blessed it. Filled it, and blessed it. Filled it, and blessed it until there was more wine than they ever could use in that moment. And I believe Jesus does the same thing in our life if we'll let him. He will take our life and bless it. He will take our life and bless it. He will take your job and bless it. That broken relationship, he'll bless it. Those hard-headed kids, he'll bless them. That broken relationship with your parent, he will bless it 
if we will but look to him as the source of everything we need. Jesus is willing to bless us, not just wonderfully, but also lavishly. Here's the last thing I want us to see together before we call the worship team back up. Jesus had people flock to him over and over and over again, and he did not withhold his generosity. No matter how many people came to Jesus, he did not withhold his generosity. I want to walk us through just a couple passages from the New Testament that show us just how much it was true that at every single turn of his ministry, there was somebody there pulling on Jesus, asking for something. And rather than pushing them away, turning them away, in his extravagant generosity, Jesus blesses them and changes their life. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, Jesus comes down from the mountainside, and large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Jesus did not push this man away. He blessed him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, Jesus entered Capernaum, and a centurion came to him, asking him for help. Jesus does not push this man away, even though he is not a Jew, but he blesses him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus comes into Peter's house. Peter's mother is lying in the bed with a fever. Jesus does not make a U-turn and go back out the door because he doesn't want to be bothered. Jesus blesses her. Are you getting tired yet? Matthew chapter 20, two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus didn't run away from them. He stops and he blesses them. Mark chapter 2, a few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum. And the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered so that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Jesus doesn't run away. Jesus blesses. Jesus has withdrew from his disciples, with his disciples in Mark chapter 3. And he takes them to the lake. A large crowd from Galilee followed him. Jesus did not run away. He did not put on a, a, a costume to hide. Jesus blesses. Mark chapter 5. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Jesus didn't send this man away. Jesus blesses him. Mark chapter 5, verses 22, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. What do you think Jesus did? Jesus didn't send them away. Jesus blessed his daughter. Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, so many people were coming and going that Jesus and the disciples did not have a chance to eat. So he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away in a boat to a solitary place, but knowing people, people even beat them to the spot. Jesus did not turn them away. Jesus healed them. He blessed them. I hope you're getting tired. Late in the night, early in the morning, when they're walking down the road, in the middle of a meal, at his home, when he's traveling abroad, Jesus is confronted over and over and over again by the needs of the people around him. And what does Jesus do? He gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. That is the model that Jesus gives for us. He gives his time, 
He gives his word. He gives his touch. He offers them all that they need in the same extravagant way that he does offer wine at a wedding in Cana. Jesus gives high quality blessings and he gives high quantity blessings. Jesus is not just lavish with stuff. Jesus is also lavish in offering us life. Life. Jesus is more than pleased to give us the stuff or stuff that we need for this life. But the gospel is that Jesus goes far beyond that and gives us what we need for eternal life. That's the key right there, that after he had given stuff, he reminds us that he actually came to give himself. He gave his own very own life to redeem our lives. Now, that's something worth shouting over. That's something worth saying amen over, that the gospel is that Jesus comes because he is extravagantly generous. And that's what draws us together. That's what makes a place like sanctuary possible. For us to come together across difference, and despite all the things that would otherwise separate us, we come together because of the extravagant generosity of Jesus. Jesus extravagantly and generously offers up redemption, reconciliation, peace, joy, and hope. Moses gave, yes, yes, Moses gave, and we celebrate Moses. David, David gave, and we celebrate David. Solomon gave, and we celebrate Solomon, but Jesus gave, and he gives in such a way that all of eternity is affected. And that's what makes him our beautiful outlaw, that he came in the midst of our mess and he gave his very self so that we would have life. And so what do I do in light of Jesus' extravagant generosity? You, thanks. Good, another good question. Thank you for asking that question. Here, here's what I would encourage us to do in light of Jesus' extravagant generosity. I, I want us to hear it. I want us to believe it, and then I want us to live as if it is true. Hear it, believe it, and then live as if it's true. Perhaps you're here today. I want to invite the worship team and the band to come back up. Perhaps you're here today, and you've never known this extravagant, generous love of God. This reckless love of God that we sang about earlier. Perhaps the step for you is to first hear it, believe it, and living it for you would be today saying yes to the extravagant love of Jesus. Not leaving this room unsure of your relationship with Jesus. Our prayer team is coming forward, and we want to pray with you today that if you're here and you want to know that you are covered by this extravagant love of Jesus, we can do that today. You don't have to leave this room doubting and wondering and saying, oh, that's amazing, but I have no clue what that means for my life. Our prayer team is going to be here through the end of service and even after service, and we want to pray with you if that's you today. And there might be some of you in this room, you've been on this journey with the Lord for a long time. 
but your relationship seems like it's gone stale. You don't get excited about Jesus because somebody told you Jesus was just a bunch of rules to follow or another set of eyes looking at you waiting for you to mess up. We want to invite you to come forward today so that we might pray that God can open your eyes again and help you to see the beauty of who Jesus is. God loves us. And he goes, he he cuts no corners in showing us how much he loves us. My prayer today is that somebody in this room would hear that, would believe that, and would live as if that's true. Father, we thank you that you love us with a never-ending love. God, as we enter into worship here at the end of this service, I pray that you would break some chains that somebody's feeling this morning. That you would let some freedom enter in somebody's heart who needs it today. That we would know in new and fresh ways how much you love us. And to how far you're, you're willing to go to show us that love. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who came and lived and died so that we might have eternal life. Help us to receive that eternal life today. Help us to live it out tomorrow and every day this week. Father, we love you. and We give you our very lives. We pray all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.